lives. We are changing lives here, it sounds like. 0.01% at a time. (laughs) Correlation, not causation. (laughs) Oh, man. This is great. This is Emergent Agenda, the August podcast. August is an org design consultancy based in Brooklyn and London. And these are the stories of what life is like changing the way the world works. We believe in emergence, that larger things emerge from smaller parts, and that this is the natural universal outcome of things coming together. So we come to this podcast with a topic, and we build the agenda from the perspectives of those involved. here with Karina. What's up? And Justine. Hello. Is this your first podcast? Yeah, it is. <gasps> awesome. I know. Oh, it's so exciting. We're talking about data today or data. Data? Data. 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 Let's go with data. We're going with data. Data. I don't know. I'm sure there's like a, a really interesting like analysis of West Coast, East Coast, Midwest, whatever. I'd love the data on that. But we're all like... <laughs> I'd love the data on that. So <laughs> That's the... Uh, East Coast coming Virginia way to say it. Yeah, what what's like the funniest data story you can possibly think of? <laughs> I mean, I have no. one. I ha- Please. Okay. Well, it's kind of like sad, but whatever. <laughs> it's like funny and sad. Um I was working in sales, which I should never do because I don't give a flying fuck. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm working in sales and I'm like basically taking like reservations for people and I get all of these leads in and the way it was set up was like, like 80 to 90% of my leads were, were bad. And, and they were from like funneling from this specific website and just, they wouldn't like pay an intern to like, or someone or like a task rabbit to come in and like update this website. So a huge part of my job was just like deleting these leads. So I sat down with like the head of marketing and I was like, I had this whole, he thought I was just like getting a coffee with him. And I'm like, (laughs) no, I pull out this notebook. I have all these questions for him. And I'm like, why aren't we measuring like how many leads come in that are trash? Like (laughs) it's like two thirds of our leads. That's a huge part of my, my day. I could be like finding good leads elsewhere. And he was just like, um, it's just sort of impossible to measure that. And I was like, <laughs> I I quit the next day. <laughs> I swear to God. I was like, I can't deal with this incompetence. Bad data literally cost you that job. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He said, there's no way to measure that. I was like, that is absolutely false. That is so wrong. The head of marketing. Idiot. He still works there. <laughs> Hello, head of marketing, if you're listening right now. <laughs> Let's build an agenda. Cool. Okay. Just shout out things that you'd like to talk about. I'm going to write accessibility down. Yep. That sounds good. What else? Impact. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, why are we doing this? What's the impact we're yeah. trying to have? Mm-hmm. What um, else? Application. Mm-hmm. So we can collect all the data we want, but you know, what are we using it exactly. for, actually? Yeah. Which I think ties a small data that it doesn't have to be this big ass thing. We can talk mm-hmm. a bit about that. It does. 
application include like interpretation? I would say so. Okay. I mean, analysis is another. Yeah. Piece, analysis. Yeah. Yeah. We'll that's see. a little different. Maybe I'm sure it comes be. before application in some ways, but yeah, we'll I'll get into that. Okay. And then we have tools. I mean, we have some tools. Yep. They're what we do. What, we, yeah. what, what do we actually do? Right. Yeah. Great. That's a great place to start. Why don't we just start at the top with accessibility? Yeah. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Let's get into it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that something is really about really interesting about data or something that held me back for most of my career. So I've actually always had um, jobs that require that require data analysis in some way, in some sort of big statistical format way. Um, and I always really, really hated it. You can ask my old boss. I actually got feedback when I was in business school from my boss at my old job, my first job out of college. And he was like, yeah, Justine was great, but she really sucked at analyzing data. <laughs> he never gave me that feedback while I was working for him. <laughs> he gave me that feedback. I think it was more framed like she never would get into the data and that she like really missed her potential or something mm. like that. Um, and then at Wharton, I was really surrounded by people like all about the data all the time. And it was just really intimidating because mm-hmm. I have really, even though I'm Chinese and my parents are scientists and my grandmother was a math teacher, I consider myself to be pretty bad at data in the grand scheme of the world. But then I think coming to August and also just in general, all those experiences taught me that it can be, it can, there's things, ways, like it's very easy things you can do mm-hmm. that don't have to feel that intimidating that can can really kind of be a way to incorporate data into your decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets built up to be this big, massive thing for a lot of people, but it really doesn't have to be that scary. So what are some ways that you can incorporate it that aren't so scary? I would love to know. I really don't know because it kind of intimidates me. I don't have anything great to say on that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's more just like thinking about, you know, so what we're doing right now at August, I don't think it's anything mind blowing. We're collecting survey. We're asking our clients. This is like the most obvious one. Mm-hmm. We're asking our clients to fill out surveys. To what extent do you agree with this statement? Strongly agree, some agree, whatever, you know, 15 <clears throat> questions. And then we're starting, I think we're doing, starting to do a good job of taking a look at that data. We're saying, wow, okay, this team is really great at embracing information transparency, but they really struggle with defining roles and priorities. Mm-hmm. They're really stuck on this idea of continual iteration. So we should focus our coaching when we're working with a team. We don't need to lecture to them about the you know, or lecture or coach them on how important information accessibility is. They're bought mm-hmm. in. They're good. What we can really focus our efforts are on are kind of helping them adopt practices that get to the areas where they're struggling. Um, and so I think, like, that is really easy to do, right? Ask a couple people to fill out a survey and then, like, look at the kind of trends and make a decision. And even, um, you know, one of the easy ways we try to look at impact, I think we want to get into more complex ways down the road, is, like, percentage shift of folks who kind of are using doing certain behaviors before we work with them and after we work with them. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think is pretty accessible to many people out there um, and is easy to do, but can feel intimidating maybe, but actually in practice is not that hard to implement or to interpret. Right. Yeah. I feel like when, when I started being a part of the data role filler with Justine, cause she and I are sort of the data team here. The thing I was most concerned with was just telling our story, like having some data beyond anecdotal, beyond quotes, beyond observation, mm-hmm. um, to talk about the impact that, they, that we were having. And I still think that that's really, really, really important, but I've come to believe that the more powerful use of data is gathering it to help us design better work for our clients. Mm -hmm. So like Justine was saying, not taking some data at the beginning and at the end just to 
to kind of prove your case, but regularly gathering data and saying, oh, we can tar- you know tweak our approach this way mm-hmm. or focus more on this or we really need to unlock this mindset. Mindset shifts is one of the surveys that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like a difficult, murky thing that we can be in a room and believe that mindsets are shifting, but just measuring it, people, asking people, you know, how much do you agree with this or not agree with this helps us figure out where we need to push and mm-hmm. coach and support and I think that that helps people on our team not think about data as like this headache, but think about it as a useful friend yeah. in doing better work for our clients. I mean, it seems like to to get to focus also, mm-hmm. there's, there's so many things that can happen. And I have a question though. How did you make this survey? Um, yeah. Was there like uh, an example? Well, I mean, I think, uh, I, think very, I think Clay and Erica made the survey for Pepsi back in the day. And so, you know, we've um, basically taken it and adapted it from there. Something that Karina and I have talked a lot about and that I feel strongly about is that we don't, what we, when, we, when I first came here, um, when we first came here, we were kind of like taking a survey and then just kind of meshing it around, revising it, completely changing it from client to client. Mm-hmm. And the challenge there is that you can't draw patterns yeah. across the clients. You can't look at the aggregate picture. You can't say, as a company, we're really good at impacting X, but not so much Y. You can't say, you can't make comparisons between clients, which can be really interesting. Like two of my clients, I worked one with a major luxury brand, and then now I'm working with a big tech company, and it's been really interesting to compare the data. And actually, I mm-hmm. kind of assumed in some ways a big temp comp- tech company, and also that was my felt experience, was going to be like way over here on the mindset, so like way more, you know, forward-looking techie. And actually, like in some ways they were, and other ways they totally weren't. And mm-hmm. that was like, I was check- that was really helpful to check my assumptions. And so, yeah, the, we've kind of taken that initial survey morphed it. Um, I did some work a little while back to do a factor analysis, which is a statistical analysis to try to look at the trends underneath and identify mm-hmm. which questions are valid, not valid. I'm sure if those are you, if there are those of you who are listening who are actual stats people, you have a much <laughs> more accurate way of describing it, but that's the way I kind of think of it. And so we're trying to use things like tools like that to refine it over uh-huh. time. Um, and there's definitely a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, we're really, but I think, um, in some ways, if you're if you're thinking about designing your own survey or your own outcome surveys, like what are you trying to impact? What are your hunches mm-hmm. um, that you think you impact? So another firm I used to work at, we were so much more focused on innovation and creativity and like preparing for the future. The questions would be very different than the kinds of questions we ask. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it's um, but but just starting with a couple questions can can make a big difference, and then you just have to experiment and evolve from there. That's that's another thing I think that working with Justine has focused my thinking about is every time we collect data, we really should be having a hypothesis that we're trying mm-hmm. to test because you can collect all the data. Mm-hmm. You could ask a hundred mindsets. You could ask about every practice, every behavior right. on a team. You could observe and, and capture you know, in a spreadsheet um, every detail about how many people are showing up at action meetings and how many people are speaking up in rounds. But it's not useful unless you know what kind of decision you're trying to make and unless you know what kind of hypothesis or hunch you're trying to test. And I think that's where people get tripped up um, yeah. in like getting into data. And in a way, you're trying to capture the minimum viable data because you don't want to sit with a huge data set that isn't, doesn't have pieces that are useful to you in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think you know, something that we've really embraced is we are on V2 
2.0 of the mindset survey and V2.0 probably of the behavior survey. Mm-hmm. Um, and we it's like we're starting to get to needing V3.0. Yeah. Um, we've, we've learned a lot. We've collected, you know, a good number of data points to be able to do that factor analysis. And like it's time. But we're, we should be unafraid mm-hmm. if a question isn't helping us test our hypotheses mm-hmm. to just cut it. And not be like, oh, but that's such a well-worded question. Right, like, right. Let it go. Let it go, yeah. pals. We're, we're done with it. I mean, something I do want to call out is I think Karina and I have really done, um, I'd like to think like from where we started, like a lot of work to building yeah. up our like data-driven decision-making, especially on the client delivery side. But something we did do this summer, and I think that if anyone is really serious about this, is we hired um, an expert, a former coworker of mine, to come in and really do a very comprehensive evaluation analysis um, on one of our clients. And I think the benefit there is that the kind of data collection we've been doing was validating our hypotheses and our hunches of what we think we impact. But what she did, um, Ashley, um, who's great, Ashley Fuss, just putting it out there. Hi, Ashley. Um, <laughs> Ashley really look, took a comprehensive look at all the potential things we could be impacting mm-hmm. that we don't have accounted for in our survey um, and really kind of tried to do that overarching picture. And what's really interesting is we, we're just getting early results from it now, but Karina and I were looking at, I think, the four things that she said that um, came out, at least in the initial pass of the data, was prioritization, transparency, um, my voice is productivity. being heard. Yeah, and my voice is being heard. Inclusion. Um, I think like productivity and transparency that we knew that and that was, there's actually, there's some interesting quantitative things there. Sorry. What do you mean that those were the four things? Like those are the four things that people want to know more about? The outcomes. They were, those that were impacted. I see. Yeah. Okay. By our uh, intervention. Or work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So productivity and transparency. I think that's, we were pretty clear on that. We help teams be more productive. We help teams be more transparent. That was not surprising. Prioritization. I think we need, we're like, huh, like we kind of suspected that, but that was never a mm-hmm. thing. I don't think we normally talk about it. Like when no. we talk to clients about what we offer and what we can impact. Yeah. Um, and then also we don't put that front and center. So it was no. really interesting that it came back as a, yeah. A major focus of it what makes people, sense. It totally does. Yeah, but it's, it really it's does. just like we wouldn't have framed it that way. No, no. And and even being heard, we've had debates internally about that. Like, do we actually mm-hmm. improve inclusion? Like, it. And we've had a lot of back and forth, but we've been really like torn about if that's something again we should tell clients we can do right. because we were not sure. And now, I mean, this is obviously an evolution, but now I feel at least a lot more confident telling a client like yeah. we did this major. You know, it's like a hundred people in-depth qualitative um, interviews coded by themes and this is what came out and that's pretty cool and so it's you know that's where I think um, it was really helpful to have Ashley work with us because the other reality is while Karina and I are certainly very interested and passionate and think this is important we also um, have client work right and so there is a piece around I think we felt like it was worth investing in someone to help us build that broader picture that then Karina and I can go and run with and other folks in the organization. The other totally. thing I think that's unique about the role that we sit in is I think of us as sort of data evangelists within the mm-hmm. system, um, but we can't do everything ourselves. I mean, we work on our clients, but we're not working in every other client situation. Mm-hmm. So we recently created um, a new role, which is that on every deliver- de- delivery team, there has to be somebody filling the data role. They're responsible for working with us to make sure that surveys get administered. They're responsible for working with their client to administer them in the best way possible on paper, via email, how, through what channels. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that sort of data advisor evangelist with on the ground person is helping to build a culture that makes it easier to get data captured. And it doesn't feel like we, we're always having to either do it ourselves or just chase after people. Like the other day, Mark reached out to me and was like, hey, just want to make sure I've got the right survey, you know, help me figure this out. But he initiated it. I didn't have to say, Mark, you know, can you get on this Mm -hmm. data thing? I was like, that is a huge win. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wants Mm -hmm. to do it. It's important. Understands that it's important to us. Yeah. Yeah. I had a great chat with Monique yesterday who is really, was like, you know, I, we have, we've administered this survey. I think it was the practices survey, the behavior survey to our client right now. Um, And what can I do with this? And we had a really wonderful chat. And I think Monique is a bit, um, you know, kind of just getting it, really getting to the work with this client. Um, and we were, I was saying the beautiful thing about data too, is it gives you this expertise and this voice. Sure. You haven't been working with the client for a really long time. You know, you want to really, um, you're kind of just getting into it, mm-hmm. but you can say to the client, look, based on the data we have, these are the opportunities that we can focus mm-hmm. on. These are the areas where your teams, you know, there's some really challenging cultural issues here. There's, you know, there, these are the areas where your team is really forward moving able kind of really ahead in terms of the mindsets. And then she says she's also going to take a look because now we have that data set across at least three or four other clients. She's like, okay, cool. And then she's going to take a look at how this client's data compares to the other client's mm-hmm. data to also be able to draw trends in terms of sharing back with the client. Like, you know, comparatively, what we're, we kind of hypothesize is this. And I think that there's, then there's like larger implications if we can really embed that. Um, I noticed that my current client, you know, the work that we're doing took about, one to two months less time to kind of really take off and embed than in my previous client. Mm. And so um, I think the mindset that it kind of, you know, kind of reinforced that kind of didn't, I think we need to, I need to dig into that a bit more. But if I can like actually pretty early on in an engagement say, you know, based on what we're seeing in this data, it's going to take us a bit more time. We're going to need a little bit more time to really have an impact. That's a powerful thing to be able to say to a client. I think it really builds a partnership, and it also helps us be more realistic about what we can impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're kind of trying to do that with our diagnosis survey, which um, we would love people to kind yes. of contribute to and fill out, but um, it's just kind of slow growing. I don't know if you want to say more about that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a survey where we're trying to get a broad swath of folks that are on our newsletter and folks that are our clients to help us understand what what you see as the problem that you need to solve. Is it about speed to market? Is it about being inclusive? Is it about delivering more value? Is it about solving critical problems? Is it about talent retention? There's all these different things that we hear from our clients and that what we think our work addresses in some way, but it helps us get a pulse on what the problem is. It also helps us get a pulse on where people think the potential intervention is, right? Do you start with middle managers? Do you need leaders to be on board? Mm -hmm. So, and I think we're trying to build a big data set around that so we can talk about that with our clients and and more broadly. Yeah, I think one of the questions I love from that diagnosis survey, which I actually use in conversations now too, right. with um, kind of executives or leaders, is what percentage of your time is focused on the following things? I think it's new products and services, core products and services, people and culture and processes. And I find it really interesting to kind of hear the answers to that. And it also is a really good signal, of, especially for potential clients, where the energy is. Mm-hmm. Um, because if... I would say like 
you know, I'm, well, I, I don't know. I'm making an assumption. If the if the main focus is really on core products and services, and they're really not focused on people, they're really not focused on process, and or and they're not even focused on new or innovative products. Which actually, I think there's some we've been, some of the um, in the data we are seeing that is the case for some companies or some leaders. That's that's less of an opportunity for us. Mm. Like we really want to be in an environment where a leader is really passionate about helping their people fundamentally transform the way they work. The processes are definitely a part of that and maybe all in service of kind of like looking to the future, developing a new offering, new services, staying competitive. Like our sweet spot is really companies who are aware of the fact that in a couple years they are going to be disrupted. They really need to act now to be prepared for the future and so um, it, we want to see that the answers to that question and the kind of prioritization that an executive or leader is putting um, it is really focused yeah. towards that goal. So I, I think that's like a real, that's my favorite question when I look at the data and kind of seeing how that plays out. And I would say, um, you know, interesting, at least in the current data we have not, most of the focus does actually seem to be more towards core products and services, which um, this we're not obviously it's not all of a potential clients, but it's just kind of interesting when I think about the world today. I would, I would assume more companies have a broader focus. It's a, it's a small data set, to be fair. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me though when we think about you know we talk about companies operating on an old operating model. Mm-hmm. That old operating model is about delivering the thing that we're good at delivering. Right. And not yeah. so much about sensing new opportunities, focusing on the complex process of learning together as a team, mm-hmm. culture. So it yeah. makes sense. I mean, I think yeah. part of the work that we're doing is to shift that focus into better balance. True, true. It, it just seems so important to me. Like, all of this stuff is about, or this data is about relationships with the clients. Like, their needs the focus and then the fit if the fit isn't right yeah the, none of the work we do is going to mm-hmm. at work yeah i mean i think the diagnosis the future of the diagnosis survey is that it helps us find clients to work with that are an exceptional fit for mm-hmm. the things that we are exceptional at yeah um you know i think we're getting there mm-hmm. something i've been thinking about through this whole conversation is how do you balance data and intuition mm. yeah you know, I think I come from a world in the nonprofit world where there's a, a real tension and a fight between mm-hmm. those things. Mm-hmm. Foundations want all the data because they mm-hmm. need to go to their boards and right. say, this is our impact. And people in organizations often want to just do their work. They think, mm-hmm. I know my stakeholders. I know the value of my organization. I see it every day. And, I, and also my impacts are nonlinear. I mean, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. sometimes they're unintended consequences. And I can't capture data that captures the richness of changing people's lives. Yeah. And that's a real tension that I feel that I feel like I live in. Um, even in this work, you know, we have to capture data, but if we go too far in that direction, maybe we turn off our intuition about mm-hmm. what's, what's needed. So I was mm-hmm. curious for you, Justine, how do you think about the balance of those two things? Yeah, I mean, that's something, so in my previous work, um, I the kind of way I like to think about it is I taught, I helped social workers get an MBA. I helped social workers who are leading mental health clinics across New York State learn critical business skills, understand what is a financial model, mm-hmm. what are direct costs, what are indirect costs. Um, at that time, and still now, the kind of like mental health reimbursement system is going through a massive shift. And these leaders, these social workers who had excelled clinically, they were amazing therapists, had to embrace numbers for the first time. Mm-hmm. And this was a big part of the conversation. And not only that, they had to try to ask their therapist to embed data into how they worked with clients. I mean, that's the ultimate frontier. Yeah. Therapy, um, 
is is kind of you know the joke was always like healthcare is about 10 years 20 15 years behind other industries and behavioral health is like 40 years mm-hmm. so um it's really it was really kind of interesting but i think that the way i thought about it then and the way i think about it now is actually that goes to kind of this concept of small data is that data can also be intuition in a sense you know like when you think about and that's where the qualitative piece is really interesting so i think you know if you can really be trying to thoughtful of as you're working with as we're working with the clients trying to sense and notice trends really kind of like observe your clients like really observe the dynamics that are happening that's all qualitative input i mean design research is a a much more rigorous way of capturing that in a methodological form and i I really i think it's really interesting but there's smaller ways to do it you know you can observe a meeting and you can pick up insights and then i think the trick is you have these insights you have these kind of explanations and then you use data to validate it Mm -hmm. you use data that any numbers you have to kind of reinforce it because sometimes your intuition can me wrong. And I think that it's not like you should ignore your intuition. It's just that you should te- check it as right. much as possible. And that's yeah. what we were talking, I was talking about with Monique last night when we were looking at this data is she was like, oh, that is interesting. That really reinforces what I've been seeing, but this one doesn't. So what does that mean? And we're like, you know, we had to, we were really thinking through the implications of that. Okay. Well, maybe that's because a larger culture doesn't enable it, but then in this team it does, you know, like, I think that, um, there's no perfect answer here mm-hmm. and there's, but you know, I would say like number crunching for the sake of number crunching. I've seen that happen before. It is useless. It yeah. doesn't matter. You need yeah. to start with that intuition that kind of, which I would say is ideally gained from like ob- observation, really immersing yourself. That's your hypothesis. That's your hunch on the why. And then using that to inform the quantitative analysis and then having it reinforce each other. They both need each other. You can't right. have one without the other. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Does that... No, that totally answers my question. I think when you capture data just to capture it, sometimes it's used as a security blanket. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, we have some numbers to point to. Or analysis paralysis. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. But um, observation is data also. And Mm -hmm. there's patterns and things that we as humans can do that is more complex than what you know, Qualtrics can do for us. Um, but thinking about those two things hand in hand as complementary to each other, neither sort of dominant over the other. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think we're getting better and better at that. I mean, I, I really love what you marketing pals are doing with the website. I think it's a really good example of that combination. You, you're kind of using your intuition, your observations of what's coming in, how people are responding to craft, kind of change the website over time. And to, you know, each week, I feel like you're kind of sprinting on a new thing. Then you're shipping that at the end of the week. And then you're using data to kind of look at, was it successful? Did the bounce rate go up, did it go down? You know, what are the different metrics that show us if this was successful? And I really love that. I mean, for a long time, I felt like our website was kind of like random people just stating strong opinions and then it would go onto the website and it was mm-hmm. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would be like, what is on our website? <laughs> now, I have faith. I mean, I might not always be like, oh yeah, that's the thing. But I have faith that you have a process that you put in place, a data-driven approach where it's not just about like the peanut gallery being like, I love that or I hate that. You know, what we're really trying to do here is appeal to people other than ourselves. So looking at the data and how you've been using to reinforce that has been really cool. And I think it's a really good example of like hashtag data-driven org, Mm -hmm. you know, which is kind of what we say of how um, it can be embedded you know, this is a type of it's data-driven decision-making. That's what I'm really passionate about and that how it can be embedded in every facet of the organization. But it, it, it should really be also combined with that qualitative intuition 
piece as well. It can't stand, it can't be, you know, you need both as we've said. Yeah. Yeah. We're using the data to, um, <laughs> I was going to say, shut up the haters. <laughs> I mean, there's some truth to that. I've been a hater at times too. You're like, so Emily's like, okay, whatever, just see. The data shows you're wrong. And I'm like, all right, hands off, hands off. Oh boy. One more thing I've been thinking about is, is using data for inclusion. So for example, you know, how powerful it is to be able to go to a client as like younger people and to, to gain credibility, to say like, here are some numbers, here, this is the truth. Believe me. Is that, is that real? Yeah, I think that's really real. I mean, I had a conversation when I was talking to Monique last night. Um, Monique is one of the more junior members of our team. And, you know, I think that's in, in the company she's now, I I think most of her clients are maybe 40 years older, Mm -hmm. mostly men, 50 years older. Um, yeah, Max is sitting across (laughs) and being like, way (laughs) (laughs) much older. (laughs) And so the credibility gap is a huge thing. And I experienced this, but then I have, um, you know, I experienced this as well. But what I was saying is that for someone like you, who's pretty early on your career and you're trying to kind of like be in this environment and be credible, you don't need to have years of experience to be able to point to trends in the data and offer insights Mm. and offer interesting information to them that they might not have known before. That's the beauty of the data. And I think that's something that I've really found powerful for me in my, um, in my different engagements. I've been lucky enough to work with, you know, different executive teams or leadership where there's that age gap as well. And Mm. I've really dug into using data to establish my credibility. And I think it is an interesting way where um, we're a bit different than a traditional consultancy too. Because in a traditional consultancy, someone at that more junior level, an analyst per se, Mm -hmm. they get their credibility by crunching massive amounts of numbers. And they come to the client meeting and they're like, based on my... All nighter last night, (laughs) analyzing this Excel spreadsheet. I'm very glad we don't have to do that. This is what I know, and this is what we found. And they have power at the table because of that. Mm -hmm. And so I've really been um, passionate about trying to build more of that for us, not just for more junior members, but for all of us, because Mm -hmm. it's something that most of us do face because we're a young company, but we're working with these older organizations. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it plays out in our own organization, too. We just recently did a breakdown of... um, gender across how people hold roles because people were having hunches that Mm -hmm. women were doing more work and taking on more roles. And we looked at the data and that was true in a couple of different ways. There were women overrepresented in facilitator roles and team rep roles. And Max actually wrote an awesome Medium post about this data that takes a much deeper dive. Um, So if you go to Medium and search for August Public, you can find that. Now, did the data tell a clear story mm-hmm. about why that's happening? No, but it helped us have a better conversation right. about it. And you know, you joked before about like shutting down the haters, but I do think in a company that has five founders who have strong intuitions yeah. about how to have a healthy, thriving company, and as someone who is creating the website, Emily, you know, that is the face of that company, being able to say look at the data, here's what's working and here's what's not working. And it, it helps to balance that gut, that intuition, and balance the power, frankly, of who's making mm-hmm. decisions about how we show up in the world and how we fill our roles in our organization. I mean, data helps us have better, richer conversations about that that surface our assumptions that are otherwise mm-hmm. unstated. And I think that's powerful in a self-organizing system like ours. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And also, as I don't know what I'm doing, it's like very comforting to have that. You're like, we got a hundred more views. Something's going right. I did something right. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think that the, that ability to enhance credibility and even Mm -hmm. the playing field is, is a really under talked about part of data. And I'm really, I think for, for us as a company that values inclusion, that values leveling that playing field, I think it's something we can lean into and are leaning into, but I I think, um, you know, now we're only getting started in that. I'm, I think there's a lot of potential for us to leverage that even further, um, as we go and maybe, you know, down the road more for our clients as well. Right. It sounds to me like it could potentially be something that helps us fold inclusion into our offering even mm-hmm. deeper. Oh. Could be. Never know. That would be great. Yeah. That'd be cool. Hashtag data driven org. <laughs> what is that? Did you just make that up? No. Max made it up. <laughs> and then I adopted it. We have a we have a policy. We have a policy at API at like our, you know, the top circle. We that, do? Yes. That's all about like how we as a company have a commitment to p- embed data into everything we do and wherever possible we will embed <laughs> data. So skeptical. <laughs> to me, this is the limits of governance because you, you state me. that, but I guess it's up to us to activate right. that right. as right. true. But like, I think in mom- it's been great because in moments of uncertainty around that, I'm like, well, hashtag data driven org. We have this policy. And it's actually, it was a bit controversial to govern it because it's like, what is just having a policy do? And I was like, it gives permission. Yeah, mm, It absolutely. gives permission and it's saying we at the top leadership level in this circle are saying we believe data is important. Um, and it was safe to try. I don't know if everyone around the table was like fully convinced <laughs> of that, but it was a harmless policy. It's like, Please incorporate data, but I've found it that it kind of gives her mission. And then there have been, I know, I think I was just refer- like Max is, there's been a couple times Max is like, yeah, let's measure that hashtag data driven org. And I feel like it's like an enabler, you know, and that's mm-hmm. true for a lot of policies. So governance, embedding it into our organization. Certainly. Hashtag learn something every day. Glad to know we have that policy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, on the topic of data inclusion, I wrote um, a Medium article about that. So I think that'll be in the newsletter this week. Um, it's also just sharing a bit more about my personal data journey, if that's of interest to anyone. And you can also find it on our Medium page. Boy, this is so great. Thank you. You're a great on the podcast, Justine. You should come oh, back. Thank you. This was so fun. I mean, star I had a great time. team partner. So. Karina's just a star on this. Ew. The peanut gallery. It's, uh, it's such a strong peanut gallery. When, I don't, gallery. when I don't have anything to say, I just ask a really complex question. It's, like, it's a strategy for life. Yeah. It's a, no, you're so good at that. So good. And that's, I mean, and the theme. I think that's like a really, asking questions is almost the hardest part mm-hmm. of good data collection. Yeah. yeah. Asking the right question. Asking a good quality question. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. So half the battle. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, pal. This was a blast. It's great. Cool. Thanks for listening. Inspired by what you just heard? Check out our website at www.aug.co. That's www.aug.co. Interested in joining the August team? Apply on our website today at aug.co slash careers. That's aug.co forward slash careers.